All right, everyone, today, welcome to our newest episode of Heal Thyself. Man, I'm so grateful that you're listening. I'm so grateful to be doing this. I'm so grateful to be giving you some good information. Like I said, every show, we've been getting beautiful reviews, positive reviews. Make sure you're supporting by rating, reviewing, subscribing. Today is an amazing show. I'm talking about a common issue that people are dealing with every single day. I have a product review based on that and... I have an amazing guest, an awesome guest. I've been waiting to have this guy on for a while now. Our schedule is finally aligned. Let's wait no further. Let's jump right in. Oh, heartburn, heartburn, heartburn. How many of you out there suffer with heartburn? This is something that we need to talk about. Man, heartburn is is such a issue with so many people. I mean, How many of you haven't had heartburn? I think most of us had at least suffered with it once. What happens is the contents of the stomach come up through the esophagus and you start feeling it. And it has all these different types of symptoms, but heartburn is really uncomfortable for all of us, period. Um, What happens is we have this sphincter. It's like a little valve. When our esophagus goes down to our stomach, it's called the lower esophageal sphincter. What happens is this sphincter does not function properly. And when it doesn't function properly, that's when we get those contents coming up. But think about our amazing design in our body. This esophageal sphincter acts like a valve so we can eat and we can do a handstand and still that'll hold the contents of our stomach from getting into our esophagus when when it's working correctly. When it's not working correctly, when it's relaxed, that's when we start dealing with those issues. So 20% of Americans deal with heartburn or GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease. Clinically, it seems like more, really it does, because I've, every, almost every other patient has some sort of issue along these lines. So most folks at least experience it once. One of the dangers behind GERD or heartburn is that it can lead to something called Barrett's esophagus. What happens is those, the cellular architecture of the esophagus changes. And for a small percent, not even 1%, but small percent of folks who have chronic heartburn leads to esophageal cancer. Um, small percent, but it's, it's a risk that we need to know about. Usually it manifests as discomfort in the chest that radiates somewhere up to the neck, up to the shoulder. Sometimes it's a burning, it's annoying. Sometimes it feels like you're having a heart attack. That's why it feels like a heartburn because it's right there in the chest. Um, you're not having a heart attack, but you are having heartburn. Uh, it can cause something called dysphagia, which is difficulty swallowing or some sort of regurgitation sometimes. Some, for some folks, really, when it's chronic, it can cause some coughing or asthma. Yes, asthma is related to heartburn. And uh, for many people, it's worse in the morning. Usually, it's exacerbated after eating a large meal. I mean, which makes sense, right? Uh, or lying down right after a meal. Usually you should wait about three hours before lying down. That's why I tell people not to eat late amongst many other reasons. Um, alcohol can exacerbate it, caffeine, um, carbonated drinks, acid uh, foods like citrus or tomatoes, spicy foods, pepper, garlic, onions, chocolate, peppermint, um, meat can really combine, especially when it's cooked in a lot of fat. Um, dairy, of course, what doesn't dairy do to the body that is negative, smoking, stress, um, and I mentioned laying down after the meal. Really, one thing I tell folks is just to uh, try to elevate the head of the bed. Um, so what some, some really quick interventions that we can make that are easy is paying attention to chewing your food. You want to chew your food and be present. Whether it's heartburn or any other digestive issues, you know, like leaky gut, we'll say, 
chew your food first. That's where digestion starts. So make sure you're present with your food, not on your phone, not listening to um, Elton John music like I do all the time, and really just chew your food, okay? First and foremost, do not drink more than four ounces of water with your food. If you're chugging a ton of water with your meals, you're, you, you're doing a disservice to your stomach. You want your stomach acid to be strong. And I'm going to go in a little bit about stomach acid, but you want your stomach acid to be strong to break down that food, but you don't want to dilute it with a ton of water. Um, again, you want to eat whole foods, rich in fiber, avoid those citrus foods, as I mentioned, and maybe opt for instead of like... Um, oranges or limes or grapes, you can opt for something like banana, melons, apples. Um, foods that are helpful also are things like rice. Watch out for all the arsenic. I had an arsenic show on rice, so don't eat too much of it. Um, I know folks do very well with demulcent teas. Demulcents are herbal or herbs that have an action on the irritated mucosa in the body. So if you have something like a throat coat tea, that tends to have licorice. Check with your doctor if that's okay with you, um, especially if you have high blood pressure, but those herbs help coat and soothe the irritated mucosa. Ginger tea can help with digestion. Fennel can help if there's a gas component, which I will go into in the small intestine. Stay away from high fat animal products, as I just mentioned. Opt for plant-based ones like avocado, nuts and seeds. Losing weight, of course, can help. Um, obesity is connected to GERD. Um, and really, you want to get to the root cause. These are just things that can exacerbate or things that can alleviate, but you got to get to the root cause and know and know that acid-blocking medications are not the answer to getting to the root cause. They are a Band-Aid. So if you have GERD, maybe your issue is that you suffer with low stomach acid. Yes, folks, maybe counterintuitive, but clinically, I have seen people do much better when addressing low stomach acid. Why? If you have heartburn, it is not an issue of excess acid. It is an issue with your lower esophageal sphincter. And two major causes that cause the dysfunction of the lower esophageal sphincter are one, increased intra-abdominal pressure. If you have increased intra-abdominal pressure, it's likely caused to carbohydrate malabsorption. If you have carbohydrate malabsorption, you probably have low stomach acid. If you have low stomach acid, you probably have overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine. If you have increased in growth in bacteria in the small intestine, that's also caused by low stomach acid. They're fermenting those carbohydrates, increasing gas in the small intestine, thus increasing pressure in the stomach, thus increasing the change of opening of that lower esophageal sphincter, thus getting heartburn, folks. Is your gastroenterologist telling you this? Because I am. The issue with GERD is most likely low stomach acid, not an excess of stomach acid. Any amount of stomach acid in the esophagus is going to cause GERD-like symptoms. This is exactly what acid-reducing drugs do. They reduce the amount of stomach acid that is produced by the cells in the stomach and thus create an environment where bacteria thrive, especially in the small intestine. So if you have SIBO, one of the most likely causes is a lack of stomach acid. That's crazy to hear for many folks, but I'm here giving you the information, clinically what I see and how I heal people from this, okay? The other issue or the, one of the other causes of lower esophageal sphincter dysfunction is an issue with your vagus nerve. Your vagus nerve is a cranial nerve all the way up in your head. And what happens is this nerve is the main nerve that connects your gut-brain connection. You hear me talk about this all the time. Well, it sends a signal to the lower esophageal sphincter. Uh, and when that signal is inhibited, that signal opens up 
the lower esophageal sphincter. Now, that's the, the sphincter is supposed to open up when we swallow. When we swallow, of course, naturally, it's going to go down esophagus and go right into our stomach. That's the signal. Sometimes it transiently opens throughout the day, okay? But when that vagus nerve is affected, that inhibition changes, nitric oxide is released, and that esophageal sphincter is relaxed, and then we suffer with heartburn. There's a parasympathetic component to this. It's stress, it's stress, it's stress. That's a major cause. You have to also investigate infections. Viral infections are one of the main things that target vagus nerve dysfunction. When there's vagus nerve dysfunction, you have to look into viral infections. So maybe, just maybe, your GERD or heartburn is caused not by carbohydrate malabsorption, maybe not even by a reduction in the production of stomach acid, but maybe it's caused by a dysfunction in that vagus nerve, particularly from an infection component. So all things to look at. Listen, I'm just putting out the information. Go see a naturopathic doctor. Go see a functional doctor so they can pinpoint it and make these interventions because heartburn is something that can be a big issue down the road. You can't have it chronically, okay? If these intervention, none of these interventions help, then have someone investigate something called hiatal hernia. It's usually when the stomach leaks up past the diaphragm, bulges and affects the, uh, the sphincter and you, you suffer with heartburn. These are all the reasons why folks suffer with heartburn. But do you understand that none of these reasons are putting a Band-Aid on heartburn like these medications do? What I wanna do is tell you folks what the root causes are and to investigate them. But really, what you wanna go see is a practitioner who can really help you out. So we're moving to the product review and of course it's gonna have something to do with this. I went to the store and picked some up. So let's go right into it. All right, the product review, of course, is on antacids, of course. And it's been in the news lately, there's been a buzz, so this is the perfect time. We really jumped on this bandwagon. So uh, there are two different, two big different types of antacids, they're proton pump inhibitors. These sales go up to up to $10 billion a year, even more. So you can see how folks swallow these like candy. And we've been taught that they're safe and that they're okay, but I think you, everyone who suffers with heartburn should really understand what they're getting into, okay? So proton pump inhibitors, they interfere with these cells called parietal cells. They're the ones that produce acid in the stomach and they're potent inhibitors. They can literally shut down the function of those cells. That's a big issue because if you recall, I just spoke about the overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine. It is one of the leading causes of SIBO. You have to have stomach acid. You have to have stomach acid to break down food, proteins, uh, help help with the production of uh, vitamins or the absorption of vitamins, uh, different minerals, and really protect you from infection, okay? Uh, so omeprazole is one of the major ones. That's Prilosec. It's the one I have in my hand right now. There's also H2 blockers. They work similar to the PPIs, but they uh, block one of the receptors in the same cells, those parietal cells. Those are the ones that help produce that stomach acid, and those are known as Pepsid or Zantac. Zantac being the one that's really controversial. All right, so antacids, what do they do? Well, they block vitamin absorption, iron, calcium, magnesium, B12. It's not only what you eat, but you gotta know what you're absorbing. And if you don't have enough stomach acid, you're already jumping into deep water. Risk of infection, I just mentioned that. There's an increased risk of infection when you use antacids of Clostridium difficile, C. diff. It can really be nasty and it can progress and it can put you in the hospital. One study showed that children with long-term use of antacids had shown a four times increase in development of C. diff versus other children. 
Also increase in H. pylori. Observational studies uh, suggest that it can increase the risk of gastric cancer in folks when taking PPIs with a history of H. pylori, even after it's eradicated. H. pylori is a um, bacterial infection that happens in, directly in the stomach. Um, it can be persistent for many folks. Um, also causes dysbiosis. That's the imbalance of good bacteria, bad bacteria in the body. Um, SIBO, as I mentioned, we already talked about that, small intestinal bowel overgrowth. So uh, also folks taking aspirin and steroids when taking these acid blocking medications, it can exacerbate intestinal eroding, which those medications do, but it can really exacerbate it. It's been connected to osteoporosis and poor semen quality in men. Also, infants given antacids in the first years of life are most likely to suffer from bone fractures later in childhood. That was came out in June 7th in pediatrics. Um, so likely what's happening is it's affecting the bone cells. Really crazy stuff just from heartburn medication. What's going on here? Now, listen, I'm not here to tell you to take something or not take something. I can't really do that. But what I can do is do what I do, inform you so you can ask your people, your practitioners, if it's safe or maybe what your other options are. Now, I don't know if a gastroenterologist will know other options, but surely your naturopathic doctor and functional doctor will. And no, look, if your child's suffering from heartburn in the first year of life, it's likely from milk, right? It's likely from milk than other things. So really remove the food stuff before you start giving them antacids. So I brought Prilosec. I just spoke about a lot of the side effects from Prilosec. I wanted to bring Zantac, but I couldn't pick it up because it's off the shelves. Now, if you go on the website, it says, at the moment, the FDA is not calling for removal of Zantac and longstanding science supports the safety of Zantac. But tell me why it can't be found anywhere, because it's not safe. Not only does it encapsulate a lot of the, the same side effects as I spoke about, but the biggest controversy was that the FDA last month found that there's a cancer-causing chemical in Zantac. I'm gonna say that again. They found a cancer-causing chemical in Zantac called NDMA. Low amounts, but remember, people pop these things like candy. It builds up in the body. That's what I'm trying to stress for people. Just because it's low amounts in a study does not mean that it doesn't bioaccumulate. Even if it has a shorter half-life, people are taking this every, every, every hour, every other hour. So really important. Imagine how many folks have been popping Zantac since childhood have developed cancer in their life and had had no idea why. It's really a travesty to me. That 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 really grinds my gears. I'm going to tell you that much. So, uh, it's NMDA or NDMA is something that has also been found in meat. It's a nitrosamine, so that's why a lot of people. There's a lot of controversy behind meat. There was that study that came out without meat and uh, about meat being great for people, but boy, oh boy, that was that was one of the most controversial, corrupt. Uh, news, this is, I'm just, you know, going sideways now, but news press releases about that. I, I, my next show, I'm going to dedicate a little segment towards that because that was ridiculous. Okay. So also, uh, it, uh, Zantac also, aside from the cancer risk comes from, uh, with other risks, especially with men's men with sexual dysfunction, uh, and women also and other GI issues. So look, antacids should not be medications. They should be temporary solutions. There are so many safer options. They do not get to the root cause. You gotta work on your gut flora. You gotta work on your mucosa. You gotta work on just chewing your food. You gotta work on your stress. You gotta work on supporting your digestive juices. You gotta work on all the things 
that require proper digestion. Because if you're going to put a Band-Aid on it and sweep it under the rug, you better believe at some point when you look under the rug, all that dirt and dust is going to start overflowing out. I'm just trying to help you all to know that you guys can make interventions very easily, very quickly. Listen to this show. Start doing some of these things. Ask your doctor first, because this ain't medical information, but start doing these things if they approve, okay? So I spoke about the Molson herbs. Talk to your doc about that. Marshmallow root, uh, licorice root, or deglycerinated licorice root, uh, DGL, if you have high blood pressure. Um, yeah, but speak to your practitioner about this. Medicinal chewing gums like papain, which is the enzyme from papaya, that's helpful, especially after meals. I spoke about the throat coat tea. Um, and acid meds, for the most part, are inefficient. They're not to be used long-term. If your gastroenterologist says that you can use this for years, they're wrong. You're not supposed to take it long-term. There is uh, a small increase uh, we've seen in studies of increased mortality and morbidity, meaning you literally die earlier the longer you use these things. That I don't even know how much further I need to go with this to tell people that I am not a fan of antacid medications. So, um, look, they don't get to the root cause. They don't get to the root cause. They don't get to the root cause. It's not medical advice, but I really hope this helped. There's my product review. There's my knowledge bomb. Let's get this special guest on and keep this show going. Hey, all right, everyone. Today's special guest. Been waiting a while to get him out here, Sean Stevenson. He's a best-selling author of Sleep Smarter. Model Health Show is on fire. I know you have listened to it. If you have not, you need to go check it out. And this guy is about to drop some serious bombs on us. I can't wait to talk to him. How you doing, my man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah. I love the setup here. I love the vibe. Yeah, I know. It's really cool. We're just trying to do it like your show, man. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to be successful like you. Give us the yeah. formula. The formula, man. It just starts with um, I, vitamin C, man. Vitamin know, C. Care. Care. That's really the big thing, man, that I think is, which it's, it's in, a, in a sense, it's sad, but in a sense, it's really inspiring because, you know, so many people have important messages, things to say, but we got to realize most people are tuned into uh, radio station, radio frequency mentally is called WIIFM, right? Mm -hmm. What's in it for me? And as teachers, a lot of times we don't realize we're tapped into that as well. Mm -hmm. And so I had to eventually take myself out of the equation and focus on how can I serve? How mm -hmm. can I help as many people as possible? But in, in honesty, man, to get to that place, you have to have your own problem solved to a degree. You know, it's very difficult to focus on service when you're struggling and you're not feeling well and maybe you're financially struggling. Of course, there's always a level of service you can do, but to, to completely flip that switch to the first thing I, I say to myself when I wake up in the morning is, how can I serve? Mm. And then I go into the day with that approach. You really got to get yourself healthy in all areas of life. And that's what we talk about on the show. You know, uh, financial well-being, uh, mental well-being, emotional well-being, and the list goes on. But, you know, I really strive to create master classes mm. for people on each subject matters. I love that. I love that because anyone could literally tune in even to your Instagram and you have these clips of the guests speaking and yeah. you, there is no shortage of brilliant minds that you're putting on there, yeah. right? Yeah. And and there it's, it's inspiring because within like one minute, I'm like, I had no idea about this. I'm tuning into this guy, yeah. I'm tuning into this girl. And it's some mind blowing stuff, but I, I totally second what you're saying. You can't change others without being right with yourself. Yeah. 
right? So, and it all starts with yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what have you found? What things for yourself have you done to get right with yourself so you can make and serve others better? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think it's, for me, is like a, and this never stops, right? There's always another level, but I feel that everybody getting themselves healthy, they have an on-ramp, like there's a low-hanging fruit. And for me, it was fitness. You know, I grew up just as an athlete, playing sports, you know, running back, scoring touchdowns, track all right, athlete, yeah. all that good stuff. And that got me to one place. But then I hit a wall because I, life presented me with the opportunity to learn that there's a difference between fitness and health, right? Because I looked very fit and I performed at a certain level, but I was not healthy. And so I was always having asthma and allergy symptoms, uh, bad skin. Um, and then ultimately I was diagnosed with what would be considered, and I'm 20 years old when this happened, uh, a disease that is related to folks that are much older, right? I was diagnosed with basically arthritis of my spine. Mm. It's a degenerative bone disease, degenerative disc disease. And my physician told me I had the spine of an 80-year-old man, right? And an unhealthy 80-year-old man, by the way, because there's some 80-year-olds who are killing it right yeah. now. Um, and so I realized that there, this fitness part, which I needed because I stopped doing that too because he told me that it was incurable. He told me, uh, you know, bed rest, don't do anything, be careful, wear a back brace, and also some other physicians I saw as well. And I was just with the... Uh, awesome physical therapist yesterday talking with him. And he said, the worst thing you can do is to do nothing. Mm -hmm. right? I heard that too. You know? Yeah. And so, but we, we categorize that in different boxes, which we can come back to, but I did nothing because they gave me permission to do nothing and I'd given my power away. And so it took a couple of years for me to like flip the switch back in my mind. Like I can actually be proactive in my own health and do something about it. But um, for me, the next inroad was food because a simple question came up in my mind. Instead of me asking, why me? Why is this happening to me? Why won't anybody help me? I just asked, okay, my bones are degenerating. My bones are breaking down. What are my bones actually made of, mm. right? And of course, the marketing comes up, I think, of calcium, right? Mm. But I just went and actually, you know, thanks to uh, Dr. Google and uh, Professor YouTube, mm. you know, I went and just like asked a question and I found it was like 20 other things that it, some of them are more important than calcium, but calcium got all the marketing, mm -hmm. you know, magnesium, sulfur bearing amino acids, silica, all this stuff. And I was just like, what? And I'm not getting any of this stuff in my diet. Like I'm eating like seriously, like uh, hot pockets and like, um, what was the other ones? The healthy ones, lean pockets. Oh yeah. That I was the healthy ones, pockets, right? right? Relatively. Trying to get healthy. And so I just, I first became like a natural pill popper, to be honest, you mm -hmm. know, like, okay, chromium, I went and got a chromium supplement, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And then I realized like my my little pill cupboard looks like my grandma's, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? She's in her 60s and it looks like, you know, I'm not, I'm just, I'm taking a very allopathic approach to things again. Yeah. Like there's a pill for this, pill for that. And that's fine. Like there's a level for that. But then I just asked, okay, what foods is this found in? And so that was the next inroad. And food is very transformative, you know, because it literally changes, it changes your brain cells. Like it, your brain is made out of the foods that you eat. Like it literally, it, it cannot not affect your thinking, mm -hmm. you know? And so um, it changed the way that I was feeling, changed the way that I was associating with myself, changed my thoughts. But, and to answer your question, to finalize it, that third component was 
um, meditation. You know, oh, was like, it? You started yeah. meditating, huh? Yeah. And this was, I'd say, about 14 years ago. And this was, again, when I'm doing this and from where I'm from, like at this time, I lived in Ferguson, Missouri, mm-hmm. right? And people might, that might like ring for a lot of people. Yeah. And so I lived there going to college. And so me meditating, I'm pretty sure I was the only person in my area meditating, you know what I'm saying? So it was very abstract and strange, yeah. but I got so much benefit from it. And the way that I was exposed to it was through my wife, uh, well, soon to be wife and, and my mother-in-law because my mother-in-law, she's from Kenya, and she was teaching meditation for like 20, 30 years at the time. Oh, that's amazing. You know, so in yeah. also learning from her about foods, you know, and so it's that exposure, man, you know, and so I'm a very practical, analytical, science-minded person. And so for me to even do the meditation, I had to suspend my disbelief, but she kind of spoke to my man brain on it a little bit, um, or, you know, woman brain, no disrespect, but, you know, um, just for me, she was talking about, you know, this particular gland, right, associated with this chakra. I'm like, what is a chakra, right? And she's like, well, this is associated with your heart, you know, and your heart has this electrical energy. I'm like, okay, that's, that's true, you know. And so I just went along with it, and I tried it, and it changed everything. Like, I realized the first meditation I did that I had never had a conscious thought in my life. And so what do I mean by that? I realized that I was not aware that I was aware if that makes sense. Yeah. Like all of these thoughts, like I, I was the thoughts. Then I realized like, wait a minute, there's just all this stuff going on in my mind and I'm, I'm separate from it in a sense. Like I can see it. The observer. Yeah. And it just changed everything for me, man. Because if something that I didn't feel was serving me, I could like pull that out and like put something else, you know, it just became like some Neo stuff, man. Yeah. And so anyways, but um, that was a big, big catalyst for me. Um, and, it's so funny. I just talked about this yesterday, but now we've got uh, clinical evidence. A uh, recent study just came out. The meditation has been found to increase your telomere length. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is our marker that we have, a best marker we have for biological aging. Mm-hmm. Um, I just did a show on telomere length and meditation. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. See, you know, yeah. perfect. And so I, I had the opportunity to talk with uh, Alyssa Apple and, you know, her co- co-author, uh, Elizabeth Blackburn, won the Nobel Prize mm-hmm. for the discovery of telomerase. I, qu- right? I quoted Elizabeth Blackburn. So yeah. uh, this was UCSF. And so they did a study and they found that meditation can actually prevent the loss of your telomeres, Dang. that accelerated loss. What in the world? And there was a specific study that was done on cancer patients, um, breast cancer survivors, and they had been through this rigorous process of treatment and you know, basically in a very depleted state. And they took a control group who had no further treatment. Then they took two study groups. One of them had expressive group therapy and one of them was taught a mindfulness meditation. Mm -hmm. Both of these groups, after they compiled all the data, their telomere shortening stopped. The ones that had expressive group therapy or meditation. Whereas the folks who didn't receive any further intervention, their telomeres continued to get shorter, Mm -hmm. right? So they continued to have this accelerated biological aging, whereas the other two, that aging process was stopped. And basically, that telomere shortening is associated with the onset of chronic illnesses. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, they, so it, there's very practical benefit to it, but also that meta level benefit is just something really profound. And so, yeah. you mean to tell me the mind and the body are connected? Then, huh? That's what it looks like. Yeah, that's what it looks like. It's so it's so incredible. Actually, the going over that telomere show more than obesity, more than smoking. It was the stress. 
that really is the biggest effect on the telomeres. So yeah. what is the most accessible de-stressor at any given time of the day is meditation. Yeah. You know, we just, you literally just need to be yourself in quiet and there you go, you know? Yeah. Um, so have you practiced a, med a meditation onward since? Is it something that you're still doing here? Yeah, yeah. It's, I'd say 95% of my days, the last probably 97, 98% of the last, you know, 14 years. Yes. Yeah. Even, you know, of course this morning. Yeah. Um, but, you know, having kids, I've adjusted my process a little bit. You know, it's usually it'll be a 10, 10 to 15 minute meditation in the morning. Uh, but I'd love to get like a 30 minute session. Like today was like 25, 30 minutes because um, I got them out of the house quicker. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just like a great exploratory experience, you know, and there's so many different types of meditation, too. That's something that people don't talk enough about. Yeah. So for, for you, I know so many people complain about the same thing. It's like. I can't shut off my thoughts. Is there one specific tactic you have that you can share with us yeah. that's really helpful? Sure, sure. Well, just a, a preface that the goal isn't necessarily to shut off the thoughts, you know, depending on the meditation approach you're taking. Yeah. You know, you could be having the goal of having a quiet mind, but there are meditations where you are, you embrace all of the thoughts and you become a witness, you know, kind of like what I mentioned earlier, like seeing the thoughts and you know, this non-attachment mm -hmm. type approach, right? Mm -hmm. But as far as quieting the mind specifically, uh, there's two ways, uh, two general ways that I like and I've seen benefit with, with multiple people. One way is physically changing your state, right? And so this is something where you focus on, like maybe it's like chaotic breathing, right? So doing some breath work. Uh, was chaotic breathing is like just breathing very quickly and mm -hmm. deeply. Uh, or like humming, that's where the, like that ohm sound, right? And just kind of going full tilt with the, with the ohm, with the, with the really deep, broad hum or ohm sound. Um, it kind of just changes like a vibratory state. Mm -hmm. You know, all your, we're just atoms, you know? And um, so, and just, if any thoughts come, just focus back to the, the, the humming. Mm -hmm. And then after, if you do that for maybe five minutes of just like get all of that mm -hmm. oxygen out, keep doing that, your body, you're going to feel this kind of like vibration, you know? Yeah. And so that's one, another tactic. So chaotic breathing, um, humming, and then um, physical meditations as well. So like you know, Qigong, mm -hmm. Tai Chi, mm -hmm. and these also have crazy, if you look at the, the medical research on these things, like I just saw a study on Tai Chi like earlier this week, and it, uh, folks who were implementing Tai Chi had um, more sleep efficiency. They tended to sleep longer and improve sleep latency. So they fell asleep faster mm -hmm. when they started to do a Tai Chi practice, right? And so you can, for a lot of people that are like very active, they're like, I just don't want to sit down, you know? Like you can do a moving meditation and just kind of tune into the movement. Mm -hmm. That's another mindfulness practice. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah. I find that actually there's days where my mind is going one million miles per hour and it's very difficult to just get into a place sitting down. So in those times, I'll actually like go outside and be very present with each step I'm taking. I don't know how to do Tai Chi, but I just do it with my own foot by foot. And there's other days where I'm, you know, more like just chill and, you know, mm -hmm. my thoughts aren't going crazy. Right then I could just sit down and boom, I'm in a meditation or a, a deeper state of uh, being. So, wow, the, the power of mind body yeah. can totally move mountains for people. And it sounds like for you, that was, like you said, a catalyst. Yeah. 
Big time. So, so then how'd your back do? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, again, I was told that this condition was incurable, right? And I remember the physician had one of those head mirrors, mm -hmm. you know, like the Bugs Bunny mm -hmm. whole thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's just sitting at, looking at me. And I know he, he meant well. But what he gave me was what's known as an, a nocebo effect, mm -hmm. right? Everybody knows about the placebo effect. Well, I don't think everybody does know. Like when we, the gold standard of clinical trials, we have to do a double-blind placebo-controlled mm -hmm. study, mm -hmm. right? Placebos are effective. We have to take that into account. And on average, placebos, just believe, so what is a placebo? It's a fake drug, a fake treatment, fake surgeries mm -hmm. have even been done. And there's an effect where you believe that the thing is actually something that it's not, right? So a fake drug could be somebody believes they're taking chemotherapy medication, they're really getting a sugar, mm -hmm. you know, injection or a pill, mm -hmm. right? And what we see now is that placebos on average are 33% effective in clinical trials. My right? body. It's That's mind blowing too. Right? Yeah. So somebody taking a placebo for uh, blood pressure and their blood pressure comes down because they think they're taking a medication that lowers your blood pressure, right? Mm -hmm. it's, they think it's lisinopril, but it's just sure. a fake pill, mm -hmm. right? So placebos are effective, right? But that's like getting a negative, or I'm sorry, a positive benefit from a, kind of a white lie, right? Whereas a nocebo effect is where you get a negative injunction, right? So this is where somebody tells you you'll never walk again. You know, you're, you have six weeks to live. Uh, this is incurable, right? Somebody of authority and who else is more, has more authority in our lives than our physicians, right? right? These are our ultimate teachers. Mm -hmm. And so I believed him. Like, and I went from like a nuisance of a pain, I had this pain in my leg, like a little slight sciatic pain to like chronic debilitating pain within a couple of weeks of him giving me this diagnosis. And I've been dealing with that small sciatic pain for months. But when he told me that I'll never get better, I just started to break down faster, mm. right? And so, that happened. I gained a lot of weight, obviously not moving around and not doing anything. And, uh, but everything changed. It was about two years and um, it was exposure again, you know, like it all is going to come back to exposure. Uh, my grandmother kept calling, harassing me uh, like grandmas do. Just trying to check on me, see if I'm okay. And I'm just like, I'm fine, grandma. Mm -hmm. But one day I just like realized like, after she called me earlier that day, I'm not fine. Like I keep saying I'm fine, but I'm not fine. And um, this is when I decided to get well, right? And we could talk like a whole, the whole show just about that process mentally, but when you decide to get well, it's like um, the word, I'm a very big student of lexicon. Decision means, it's from a Latin word meaning, uh, day means from and kaidir, which means to cut. So when you decide something, you cut away the possibility of anything else but that thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas for a lot of people, it's like, I'll try. I wish I'll get better. We'll see what happens. But I decided to get well. And so, but I'm also very analytical, so I put a plan together, right? It wasn't just like, okay, you know, the, clar the clouds parted and everything's fine now. And so I changed the way I was eating, like we talked about earlier. I changed my movement practices. And also I focused on sleeping a little bit better because mm -hmm. that was my biggest struggle. And um, from that moment of decision, it was about six weeks, and I had lost maybe about 18 pounds, which is not typical at all. I was always like the thin, the skinny kid in my family, mm -hmm. but my fat gene definitely turned on, you know. And but that weight just kind of just flew right off of yeah. me. And the pain I've been experiencing for those past two years was gone. But I was—I'll be real with you—I was 
totally in fear still. Like I was worried that I'm going to do something and it's going to come back. Yeah. And so I needed that affirmation from a doctor. But it wasn't, it was about nine months later ultimately because I just was so scared to go and get checked out again. Mm -hmm. And I just kept doing what I was doing. And when I got my scan back nine months later, my two herniated discs had retracted on their own. And the degeneration, basically at the spine of an 80-year-old man, now the spine of maybe somebody in their 30s. That's right? incredible. It, become, it became drastically different. My physician was just like, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. You know, he's never seen anything like it. Irreversible, degenerative. Come on, man. You know? Wow. And so um, after that, I, I just became on fire. Like all of these people that have been told that there's nothing you can do and you can't get better, I've got an example. I'm a living example that that's not true. There's always a possibility as long as your heart is beating. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to help as many people as I can. And so I changed my coursework in school to biology and kinesiology and yeah. uh, became a nutritionist, started writing books, speaking and the show. And, and then changing the world. And Because <laughs> you're still on fire. And that was what, 16 years ago? Yeah, about 17 years ago. Yeah, you're like yeah. the human torch. You're yeah. still on, on fire, <laughs> man. That, and that's an incredible story. Yeah. Um, I would, if I never heard these miracles, I would be shocked. But you know what? I've seen it happen. Yeah. I've seen it happen in cancer, man. Yeah. In cancer care. And I've seen the nocebo effect in cancer care. I've experienced it with loved ones. Um, so I've, I've always been more appreciative of oncologists who can choose their words really wisely yeah. and know that there is data on the nocebo effect in cancer care. And in your case, chronic disease. Absolutely. So, yeah, w one thing you mentioned was sleep, yeah. right? And and then you wrote this best-selling book on sleep. Yeah. And I haven't done my sleep show yet, mm -hmm. but we got to go into it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember listening to one of your uh, talks, and you were saying that sleep isn't sexy. Mm -hmm. The talks mm -hmm. about sleep aren't sexy, yeah. but I think it is getting sexier yeah, now, right? Definitely, definitely. Sleep is, I mean, I have an aura ring on right now, so yeah. it teaches me how I sleep. Yeah. I thought I was sleeping well but I, apparently I don't. Um, what, what are some, what's sleep hygiene first and foremost? Mm. How can people start bettering their sleep? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, just like we think about personal hygiene, right? Uh, it's, it's about cleanliness, right? It's about um, eliminating excess in a sense, you know? Uh, so with sleep hygiene, it's really the same thing. It's having efficient uh, clean sleep, if, if it were, and also the, the, the surrounding environment that has to do with sleep. And so, um, again, to bring this to a level of practicality, I could not have brought the idea of a sleep wellness book to my publishers and them to agree to give me a deal, right? I had to have proof of concept because there had never been a successful sleep book up until Sleep Smarter. I mean, you know, there's been some books written and, you know, a few sales here and there, but this book created a movement like we sold you know a couple hundred thousand copies you know and it really became it came from a place of number one I self-published it first and there was proof of concept and also relating this to something that they did understand and that's what I want to do for the 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 watchers and listeners of this show and so I found a study this was from University of Chicago and they were it was a typical weight loss study but they were going to see how sleep might impact your weight and your body fat. And so they put people on a typical calorie-restricted diet, which is not necessarily effective in the first place. But anyways, we won't even get to that yet. But they put people on a calorie-restricted diet, and they had a study group and a control group. And what they did was they allowed folks to get 
adequate sleep, about eight and a half hours of sleep, while on this calorie-restricted diet. Another phase of the study, they sleep-deprived them. So now they take away three hours of sleep, they're getting five and a half hours of sleep. And then they retested all their metrics, and they gathered all the data at the end of the study. They found that when folks were adequately rested, they lost 55% more body fat. Mm. Not weight, Mm -hmm. actual fat fat. mass. Yeah. All right? To get a result like that, you've got to... You got to diet, you're behind off, you've got to exercise, just sleeping. That's it. Mm-hmm. Just getting more sleep. And so I'm immediately like, I, pr- I present this to them, but also I give the why. Like, how, the how and the why, like, what's going on behind the scenes? When you're sleeping, you produce the greatest amount of human growth hormone, which as soon as I hear that, I think about Barry Bonds, Jason Giambi, all the, all the boys, Andy Pettit, yeah, you yeah. know. But this is something we produce naturally. Yeah. And it's also known as the quote, youth hormone. Mm-hmm. And it's associated, it has a muscle, a protein sparing effect. So it protects your, your muscle tissue, which muscle is in many aspects, it's kind of like your body's fat burning machinery. You know, it's very expensive, calorically speaking, just to carry muscle in your mm-hmm. frame. And also it's, it's anabolic, so it helps you to build more muscle. It's related to energy. That's why we call it the youth hormone. Kids have so much HGH, it's nuts. Um, but you don't get the vast majority, like the biggest secretion, unless you're getting adequate sleep, right? Melatonin, which we have glorified to be a sleep hormone, is so much more than that. Mm-hmm. It actually regulates your entire circadian rhythm. It's like it plays a major role in when all of your hormones are getting produced. Yeah. And melatonin, and this was a really crazy study that came out, they found that melatonin secretion increases your body's production and mobilization of brown adipose tissue. So this is a type of fat that burns fat as well, mm-hmm. right? So you're creating more metabolic systems that burn fat. And I mean, I can go on and on, but just to share two more really quickly um, related to sleep and and weight loss, uh, Stanford University researchers found that um, your sleep is directly tied to leptin, right? So leptin is our satiety hormone. Just one night of sleep deprivation, your leptin tanks and your hunger hormone ghrelin shoots up. Mm -hmm. So guess what happens? And I know that I've experienced this when I don't get a good night's sleep, I'm I'm just hungrier the next day, specifically for for carbs, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I just brought all of this to them and, the, and the, like saying, this is the missing piece in this weight loss story. I'm tired of the diet books. I'm tired of the exercise books. They're, they have their value. But if we're not talking about this piece of sleep, we're missing the whole point here. You know, and so um, getting, you know, I had the top five publishers in the world all offered me like big deals to grab the book. Oh, really? Because you know? they, yeah. they, saw, they saw the big picture. Yeah, but it's still, of course, it's a hard sell because of this one thing. And this is what you said earlier. Sleep is not a sexy topic. Mm-hmm. Like what we think of when we think about changing our bodies and our health, we think of proactively doing something, right? And it's that really American mentality, but also other places as well. But it's just like you can't get something for nothing, mm-hmm. right? You got to get out here. You got to hustle. You got to grind. If it's not working, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. You just got to work harder. If the if your keto diet's not working, you got to keto harder. Mm-hmm. If your vegan diet's not working, you got to vegan, vegan harder, harder yeah, right? Yeah. I'm just not vegan hard enough, yeah. right? When in reality, this is something that is kind of counterintuitive, unfortunately, that when you do nothing, you get all of this benefit because mm-hmm. that's what sleep really is. But my argument is that this is not doing nothing. Like you actually have to work at going to bed today because of you know FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, and just like so much coming at us. Mm-hmm. And we live at the time of the greatest distraction, but also the time of like the greatest opportunity. But for you to maximize those things, you really need to be well rested. 
A hundred percent. I can't agree more. And and in even in the context of weight loss, I that all that stuff is so incredible because how many people out there it's not even addressed by their nutritionist, by their trainer, by their practitioner. It, it yeah. just it's not even brought up. How are you sleeping? Yeah. Rather, how can we cut out more calories from your diet? Right. So you lose weight and you can eat whatever, just have X amount of calories. Yeah. Um, and incredible stuff. I mean, sleep um, in the context of cancer too, which is what I look into, especially breast cancer. Um, interestingly enough, we know ambient light actually will reduce melatonin production. Yeah. So sleeping in pitch black is protectant for breast cancer yeah. because melatonin is such a powerful anti-cancer. Melatonin is like one of the king hormones that we don't even give enough love. Yeah. I don't even think we understand it fully. No. And I think part of the problem is we can go to CVS or to Whole Foods and like you can buy melatonin supplement. Yeah. You know, and even that for me, because what there was, it was this running theory in some parts of uh, medicine that taking all of that exogenous melatonin might suppress mm -hmm. your body's ability to produce melatonin mm -hmm. itself, but that wasn't actually found to be true. Mm -hmm. And I cited a study in Sleep Smarter. What they did find was that your body will continue to produce melatonin, but your receptor sites for mel melatonin downregulate when yeah. you're taking too much or too frequently mm -hmm. a melatonin supplement. So this means you can make it, but your body doesn't even use it. It mm -hmm. doesn't. It loses the ability to use melatonin which regulates all of your different um, hormonal pathways, specifically related to sleep, as we're talking about. So, you know, I think that it's, we're a little bit jaded and we don't fully understand its value. But like you mentioned, it's a huge, quote, anti-cancer hormone, you know? And one of the most glaring examples of that is the, the women's health study, it's a major study. Mm -hmm. So many different things have been pulled from this study, a nurse's study. And what they found was that nurses who work the night shift, right, who do shift work and work overnight, had a 30% greater incidence of breast cancer. It's crazy. Right? Yeah. Uh -huh. And it's just like, what in the world is going on there? And it's because melatonin is so valuable and just being under that, you know, these fluorescent light bulbs and you can still sleep eight hours, but you're not on a normal cycle, you know, and your body, your body needs two conditions to produce optimal melatonin. Number one, it needs a consistent schedule because all your hormones are always trying to be in schedule, right, with nature. Mm -hmm. And you need darkness. Mm -hmm. You need darkness. You, you, can, you can produce some melatonin, but not, not an optimal amount if, you, if you're not getting enough darkness. So yeah. Those are yeah. two prerequisites. We have to. So get, get some curtains, turn off that ambient light, get off your blue phone or your, yeah. your blue light from your phone. Um, yeah, the, melatonin has always been so intriguing for breast cancer. And, um, you know, there was a time where I had three uh, flight attendants who traveled overnight with mm. breast cancer. Mm, uh, yeah. You know, they travel for like three weeks in a row and then have like a few days off. Yeah. Then, uh, can you believe that? Three. Yeah. That, not yes. to mention what's on the planes in, in general, like flame retardants and whatever's in the air. But they, there's, their body doesn't know what it, when's night, when's day. There's these ambient lights and it's pretty incredible. Um, there's also some amazing stuff. I don't know if you looked into it about grounding and sleep. Oh yeah. Just literally oh, yeah. barefoot or um, mats that are grounded to the outside mm -hmm. helping with sleep latency. It's like it's getting back to nature. It's literally getting back yeah. to nature the way we used to. You know, we slept on the ground or on like a leather hide or something and you know, we got that electrical frequency from earth. Yeah. 
You know, I was there maybe, I'm thinking about 10 years ago when the earthing technology started to really come out. Like I was right there front and center and I got this stuff. I still have a lot of this stuff in my house and I had earthing sheets, I had uh, grounding mouse pads, all this stuff, you know. And I also had a tester, right? It's this, just a little battery powered tester you hold in your hand and a green light would come on if you're grounded, right? And so literally like I can go outside and stay on the ground and this freaking light would come on that I'm holding in my hand, right? And then if I step uh, into my shoes, then the light goes off, right? And if I touch these grounding techs, like the light would come on. It's just like, dude, I'm so conductive. It's so crazy, but we don't think about it. And so this was actually in the final chapter of the book, which I, I struggled to put this in there because it is the most strange thing to talk about, but the science, like, I couldn't deny it, right? So what they did was they had folks, and by the way, I got introduced to it by, um, so like the Tour de France athletes were utilizing some grounding, some like impromptu grounding tech. And I'm friends with the physician who was like working with those guys. Um, He was a chiropractor. Mm -hmm. He was a team physician though. And, And he, you know, I got some little insights from him about it and also Clint Ober and Dr. Uh, Sinatra, who works with, he's a cardiac physician. And it's just like, okay, this is really interesting, right? And so here's what, I, here's what they found. They took test subjects and they grounded them and they found, and versus, you know, the control group who wasn't grounded, they found that their cortisol went down in the evening by being grounded. Mm-hmm. So that's correlated with the deactivation of this fight or flight sympathetic, right? Part of the reason we can't sleep, right? And their parasympathetic system came on and what they found was that cortisol, not just at night, this is what was the most fascinating thing, their cortisol levels normalized throughout the day. It's incredible. Right? Yeah. So it's like your, their body was resetting by getting exposure to the earth. Mm-hmm. And again, it doesn't make any sense. Like how, that sounds like some straight up like Aquaman level, like <laughs> it doesn't, it, how does this real? Yeah, yeah. And the reality is like the human body is incredibly conductive. Mm-hmm. We're very conductive. And we build up, we absorb a lot of this stuff going, like we know radiation, like all this stuff gets into our cells. Um, You know, even Wi-Fi, right? All this stuff is passing through our bodies. And if you think about it, um, you know, what what they found was that the process of inflammation is largely, largely related to this, like missing electrons, right? This is creating this inflammatory process. These quote free radicals, Mm -hmm. right? These are these, uh, Uh, molecules that are missing an electron, right? And so when you ground, when you get yourself touching the earth, you're just absorbing free electrons from the earth. This is why we get antioxidants from our foods is because they're providing free. That's what antioxidants are if we want to, you know, there's in one dimension, they're colors and they're also like these electron sources. Mm -hmm. But we lose a lot through the digestive process. If you get it directly from the earth, like you're just absorbing as much as your body needs. Yeah, and and the the surface of the earth is infinitely conductive and it's supplying us with these electrons over and over and over. How incredible nature is that it can provide us literally with an anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, sleep balancing gift throughout our body, literally within seconds of just putting our feet out there. But how hard it is to tell someone working in the office on your lunch break, why don't you just go outside if you're stressed out Mm. and take off your shoes like a hippie, Mm -hmm. you know? You'll appreciate this. When I was in my residency, in a white coat, I would take off my shoes and go into the garden and 
some of the other doctors look at me like I'm a crazy man. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? I was like, go look at the studies and grounding and tell yeah. me, tell me you're not going to join me, you know, the next yeah, day. Yeah, I love that. But why? But I, I always say, let go of the stigma and understand like where you came from. You, this, you've evolved with this. Yeah, exactly. So why not get back into it? So that the book is called Sleep Smarter. That's right. But we got another one coming, right? Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be coming very soon. It's called Eat Smarter. Eat Smarter. Yeah, so okay. this is really in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I I can't talk too much about it right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. But it's a very special book, and we're looking at, um, you know, whenever we talk about nutrition, the vast majority of our thoughts, honestly, just go to weight loss. Mm-hmm. It goes, it's tied into weight. That's when we think about diet and nutrition, we think about weight, and I think it's a huge problem. You know, and like if you look at the weight problem, we have not solved that like remotely. Mm-hmm. Like we've scratched the surface. And it's because I think that, and this is another big thing for the powers that be, the publishers and the, the media, they're, they're really geared towards that next thing, that next diet angle, right? That next uh, program, right? Let's, let's manipulate carbs and these kind of things. Okay, that stuff matters. Like we, we've got a macronutrient uh, foundation but they are also pushing the idea that we need to keep it right kiss right keep it simple stupid right that's the acronym because just believing that people aren't smart enough to know about the complexity of food and i think that's just so grossly ridiculous i know even for me like i didn't come up with any of this stuff but getting exposed to the ideas in a way that makes sense i hate it i mean i actually transferred out of pre-med because i hated biology so much. It was so stupid to me. I was like, why do I have to learn this? Now I'm, I'm like, I'm obsessed with it <laughs> because of the way that I was taught. It yeah. became applicable to my life. Yeah. So I wanted to know about it. Right. And so what I'm doing is I'm delivering the complexity of food, right? We're going to talk about this stuff. So food, yes, it can influence what's happening with your endocrine system and what's happening with your metabolism, your nervous system, all this stuff, but also food impacts your relationships. Everything that we do, it revolves around food. You know, every, your first date, your uh, after church, your uh, holiday, everything revolves around everything. food. everything. Right? And so we're supposed to m- try to manipulate or even uh, detach ourselves from things that we have to do. It's like if somebody has a problem with food, it's not like a drug where you can go to rehab. Like, you still got to eat, you know? So we have to change our associations. And so one of those associations, and I'll just share this and then, you know, move on. But No more secrets on that. Um, yeah. It was so fascinating to me to see that um, Ohio State University did a study on couples. And they found that, you know, this concept of hangry has been like in popular culture, yeah. but it's real. Like we've got real science on this. And they found that couples who had poor choices in food and they have, you know, they go uh, blood sugar spike and go hypoglycemic. They had more arguments with their spouse because of their blood sugar disruptions from the food that they're eating, mm-hmm. right? So we think that we're associating with the people in our lives in a conscientious, uh, healthy way, but we're not often our best selves. And that extends out not just from the people that you love, but the people in the world. Like, I'm in LA now. The traffic. Mm-hmm. Just, <laughs> I mean, like, the people, like, everybody, I saw. Just true story. There was a guy, it was, a, it was an elderly fella, right? He, uh, he was probably a 70. He reminded me of uh, the guy that wrote Jer- with Jerry Seinfeld and they had his own show. 
What's the name of that oh, show? Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah, Curb Enthusiasm, yeah. Right? So he reminded me of that guy. And then there's a guy over here. There's a Hispanic guy. He's in a drop top. He's feeling himself, right? And I feel I was feeling it with him. Yeah. Like, he was just, like, living his best life. And then the, the elderly fellow kind of almost cut him off a little bit. And so I guess he got upset. And so he faked like he was going to run into the... And this is on the highway. And so the elderly fellow swerves. And they're, like, swerving at each other like a video game. Yeah. I'm like, this isn't a video game. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, like, have I ever been that upset in traffic myself? Mm -hmm. And I probably have. Well, I don't know to that degree, but, you know, like, if you if you don't feel well, it's much more difficult to manage your emotions. For sure. Right? You're, it's just logical, yeah. right? If you're stressed, if you're malnutritioned. And now we've got research to affirm that. And the, the, the research in this book is just mind-blowing mm -hmm. when it relates to, like, even the... Um, crime in prison systems and relating to um, folks working in public service and how everybody is relating to each other based on malnutrition, we've got the data now. Oh, that's so incredible. I'm excited, yeah. I can't wait. When, when do you know? Do you have a date? April 2020. April 2020? Yeah. Can I put in the order now? <laughs> yeah. I want that book, yeah. man. Uh, I'm going to read it. So, and I want you all to read it. Um, so aside from the book, anything new and exciting going on in your life right now that we need to know, we need to follow your journey. I'm sure that a lot of people are now hearing about you, have heard about you and big fans like me. So, yeah. Um, the outside of this book, like I've poured everything into this, you know, um, I mentioned that even while we were moving, I was writing, I was literally at the hotel the day that we were moving, like writing to get this in on the deadline and um, writing from sunup to sundown for the past few months. And I just eliminated everything else from my life. I go and record once a week and just focus on this book. So that's been the biggest thing. Uh, but outside of that, um, a couple of things that just for exposure, for reach, for impact, you know, my podcast and this medium is just exploded. Absolutely. But there's these other mediums that I'm really focusing on coming up. And it's great that you are doing this full production that you do. Mm -hmm. Such a huge advantage. Um, because like I mentioned, we've got Dr. Google, we've got Professor YouTube as well, you know? Yeah. And actually Vimeo just reached out to us yesterday, I think, wanting to partner with us. That's cool. You know? And so I'm gonna focus more on video coming up here in 2020, like uh, big time. Uh, you know, we've got, you know, millions and millions of listener downloads with the podcast, but uh, the video, and somebody told me, I don't have a face for radio, so um, I'm going to start doing more video stuff ah. and uh, just creating more short-form content as well. And now, as you've seen, like even on social media, yeah. you know, just sharing those really powerful clips yeah. from the show. But, you know, so that's what we're going to really focus on as well. So even, you know, folks that are listening to this, they can check out the YouTube as well yeah. uh, for the Model Health Show. Really cool. The Model Health Show, amazing show. Uh, so many good episodes. A lot of uh, my colleagues are there that some of them that have actually been here are going to come here. So check out that show. Check out the book, uh, both Sleep Smarter and Eat Smarter, April 2020. Um, you're the man. Thank you know, you. that was Thank that you. You, you gave us some incredible information. Um, you know, I, I learn every time I listen to you or any of your guests. So I'm very much so grateful. I know the listeners are, too. Thank you. I received that. Thank you so much. All right, brother. Thank you for coming. My pleasure. All right, what an amazing guest. I think we got ourselves an instant classic. I really enjoyed that conversation. I hope you all learned something amazing, amazing, amazing. Thank you for tuning in. Rate, review, subscribe, support the show. I will see you all next week.